your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello, everybody. You know, when a parent is given the diagnosis of autism, they're really thrown into the sea of confusion as they struggle to become educated in the multiple, multiple choices that will both benefit and potentially continually harm our child. The expectations of parents is endless by the community and relatives and our children. And what is, what is happening with your child biomedically, what is happening neurologically, what is happening behaviorally, even veteran parents struggle with the current laws and the choices available to the children, and, and it's very hard to sort through it all. In the state of Arizona, there is an advocacy group that can help you sift through this confusion and empower you as a parent. Arizona's Advocates is a wonderful organization in Phoenix, Arizona, and joining me today are Kim Yamamoto and Elaine Berkeley. And Elaine and Kim have extensive experience in advocacy and understand that it's particularly confusing and stressful to navigate the various federal, state, and local organizations in health, education, and government. The IEP and due process are also big issues that we'll also hit today. They have been through hundreds of these meetings in their career, and their expertise is fantastic and will help you come with some wonderful creative solutions for your child. I am so grateful to have both of you on my show today. Thank you, Betsy. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, this is my struggle when I have two guests. Is, is if I, for, if I, if uh, somebody hears a, a tad of silence, just just jump in there, and I will try best to add, to to address you each individually because you're both filled with so much information. I think that's so neat about both of you, and why it was so important to have both of you on the show is that you took both of your practices where you were doing this, and you really joined together. Yes, Betsy, uh, this is Kim. Um, we really found that in the state of Arizona, everyone um, struggled to find the information, and so we wanted to create a resource that was easier for parents to find. And by bringing practices together, it just allows so many more families to have access to the information that's so vital to help create success for our kids. That's great. You know, I, I love the word advocate. In fact, my uh, the original name of our practice, our practice was Pathways Medical Advocates, um, in which we've switched to Pathways Medical and Holistic Health Center. But I love the word advocates because of the fact that it means that you're, you're working as a team and you're yeah. working with all of that wonderful knowledge that the two of you have gained and not expecting these parents to reinvent the wheel over and over and over again. Um, can you talk, can you address like what is an advocate and, and what, is, what, is, what should somebody expect from somebody who they're hiring as an advocate? You want to do that? Go ahead, Kim. Um, an advocate is one that helps you as a parent speak up for yourself. Um, an advocate should assist a family in speaking their mind and helping them reach whatever goal that family has in mind. 
um, for some advocates, that could be um, that advocate it says everything. For others, it could be assisting the families to find the words that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal in mind is to always help the families reach whatever goal they want to do, whether you're accessing medical care, um, a state service, or the education system where we tend to spend a lot of our time um, and looking for an appropriate advocate. Well, that just opens so many questions for families. But, you know, Elaine and I both agree that you need to have a personal interview. You need to make sure that you agree with the type of approach. Mm -hmm. You need to ask questions like how much experience do you have, how many IEP meetings or Mm -hmm. how many meetings have you participated in, what is your level of success with this particular area, and um, don't be afraid to talk to other families that have used uh, this particular person or advocate. Um, unfortunately, across the United States, advocates are not licensed or certified, so any anyone can hang their shingle and call themselves an advocate. And, um, you know, you're going to get lots of levels of professional experience, and, um, it, you know, that's why the personal interview is so important. Yeah, I would think sure one of the happens. biggest, I would think one of the biggest conflicting things with this is somebody who is acting as an advocate to really bringing too much of their own personal vendetta into it. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I would guess that happens quite frequently with a lot of advocates. That, this is Elaine. Uh, that that does Betsy. One of and one of the um, purposes of bringing an advocate in is because as a parent, um, you already have uh, you have so much invested of yourself, and there's so much emotion involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my, my I have a child who's on the autism spectrum, uh, who's in his 20s and doing very well, by the way. Um, he's in college uh, at the university. Um, but when I first started doing this professionally, I already had a master's in social work oh. and had been um, a school social worker for a number of years. And I couldn't go to my own child's IEP without crying yeah. because I would get so frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that you bring an advocate in is so that you have somebody who's clear about where they're going. And the purpose of an advocate, along with what Kim said, is um, the advocate needs to be professional enough to provide the family with with a wide variety of information and help the family to sort out their options, both legally and emotionally. And the family is the only one who's going to be dealing with their child when that child is 34 years old. Sure. Nobody, not the advocate, not the school. So it's the advocate's job to help the family see the long-term picture of where they're going and what place um, the services or the educational system plays for now. Okay. Now, I, I, I have to give you a, a little bit of a revealing story about myself because I think this will help parents um, in, in lessening their their guilt that, that is so huge with autism. And in fact, we're going to be doing a show in January on forgiveness and because parents are always struggling with all this guilt. And I, my son was a very, very sick child with autism. He didn't just have the behavior situations. He was very, very sick. And I have literally dedicated my entire life towards making him well to the point where this is not, I, he, it's not why I married my doctor, my husband who's a doctor. It's 
<laughs> but, but it was definitely a nice plus. <laughs> and 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 um, I, I've really worked very very hard at the wellness, and I speak and I lecture all about wellness with these children and how to keep them healthy. And I I've written books and many articles on diet, and and um, I have tremendous background on the nutritional end. So to be honest with you, the education part of it. It was just like one thing I couldn't handle. I just It was just one more thing, and I just basically trusted the system because of the fact that I just couldn't go there, I guess is, is the only way to say it. And it was a very painful thing. I just, I just couldn't go there. So just recently, I, I became very unhappy with my, my son's school situation. He's 14 years old. And one of our um, longtime patients happens to be an advocate, and she started to help me with this IP process. And she was completely and totally blown away with how exceptionally naive I was to anything that were my rights or anything that I could be asking for or even how to even put together proper goals. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but Betsy, you're you're specialized in this. How could you not know that? And I think the point I'm trying to make here is that as parents, we have to, it's like we have to get our medical degree, we have to get our uh, therapy degree, we have to get our education degree, and it's just too much. And there's something that has to give. So it, it makes so much sense to me to say, listen, I don't have time to learn about the IEP process. I'm trying to make my son well. How about hiring somebody else? Um, because can you, I, what I'd like to have you address is just how complex it is to really understand all of the laws and the rights. Well, I can tell you that most families don't understand their rights as, and how to access the type of services that districts offer, um, even when they are experienced in the education system. And unfortunately, until it reaches a situation where you don't like it, and that's usually a crisis level, that families don't have the energy or time to take action. Just like Elaine, I have a son who's on the spectrum and has been doing really well. And, you know, I focused my energy on education, like you focused yours on um, wellness and, and health care. And um, with that focus, without that time and energy, there is no way for families to understand all their full rights. Yes. Sitting down and reading the law books is not something every family has time for. I remember the, you know, the hours of therapy and doctor's visits and, you know, vitamins and minerals and the schedules and, and it's just so time consuming and, 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 you know, that just leaves families at a loss when it comes to education because you think they're professionals and they have the experience. And, but the thing, the problem with that thinking is that our education systems um, were made, in, you know, we're are kind of at a 1950s level, mm-hmm. and we have so much more that we can expect out of them now if you just have the knowledge and information. So that's what advocates should provide is that knowledge and information on how to, you know, have access to all those systems. So can I can I add something to that? Please, um, one of the one of the things is that knowing the law is very important because then you know your rights, but Crucial to that is putting, if you have a child who has an IEP um, in particular, um, the importance of knowing the wording that needs to go into the present levels of performance, the goals and the service page, the service page and the accommodations and modification page. And that is so specific to each child. At the same time, Schools, teachers, and especially teachers in particular, 
I, I don't think that they don't want to provide it to our children. I think that they, um, for the most part, and, you know, we don't know the whole country, but for the most part don't have the training that allows us to get documents that are probably properly written. And those, those are legal documents that we're writing. So it's really important to have somebody who knows what needs to go into the IEP itself just knowing the law doesn't provide everything that a family needs. Yes, and and here's what I'm finding out in the process because I'm going through a huge process myself right now, and I'm finding out it's really hard to know where, when somebody is speaking something in IEP, where is it coming from? And by that I mean, you know, I, I had a teacher say some things that I knew that the teacher didn't believe was right in her heart, but I found out later she was pretty much told that's what she had to say. And then I, then I found the psychologist who was saying things that weren't very nice, and then I found out later on it was her boss that was telling her what she had to say. And it was just like it really, people weren't even able to even speak the truth within the IEP because of the fact that it's coming up from a much higher position than just who's sitting in that room. And a lot of times when you have an advocate at the table with you, a lot of that is alleviated because they know someone is sitting at the table that is that understands the process and knows how it's supposed to work. So a lot of that is set aside mm-hmm. um, when they're and it, and it unfortunately it shouldn't be that way. It should be when parents sit down at the table as equal participants that they have the same interaction that they would have without an advocate at the table. But I repeatedly find that different. Um, yeah, it, it's important. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll, we'll be back here with Kim and Elaine talking more about advocacy and how you could help your child in an IEP. We'll be right back. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. ReadySorb Glutathione is proud to support the Betsy Hicks radio program. Glutathione is essential for human health. It protects cells from oxidative stress and supports the body's removal of toxins. It enhances immune function. Glutathione is one of the body's ways of detoxifying itself. It protects our DNA. Glutathione is one of the most effective free radical scavengers. Autistic children are predisposed to low glutathione, which prevents them from detoxifying. 
detoxifying normally. ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione is an oral dietary supplement that was formulated by a physician for his own patients. Each teaspoon contains over 400 milligrams of glutathione. The ingredients are pure and chemical free. And there's no sodium benzoate in ReadySorb Glutathione. It's approved for use on the Fine Gold program. Ask your doctor about ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione and read more about us at www.redisorb.com. That's R-E-A-D-I-S-O-R-B.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. We're back and we are talking today about advocacy and I'm very excited to be talking about IEPs as this is something that's really dear to my heart lately. Um, I have joining me are Kim and Elaine who are wonderful advocates in Arizona who know so much. So I, I, let's Let's first define this IEP because I was completely naive going into this process, what it really and truly means, what an IEP really and truly is, and how unbelievably essential it is to have a good one in place. Kim, you want to talk about you're the, you're the person with um, the most skills in terms of what current law is. Sure. And you want to talk about what an IEP, an individual education plan is, and then yeah. I can we, talk a little bit about you know some of the things that need to go into it. Okay. Good. You know, the IEP, we often use that language, IEP, but what I want you to understand is it's an individual education plan, and that's what you're creating. This individual education plan, that, mean it's, that means it's unique to your child's individual needs. It's not not an autism plan, it's not an other health impaired plan, it's not, you know, about a group of students who have this kind of disorder, it's an individual education plan. And so if you're struggling with your team to make it individual, stop calling it an IEP and start calling it an individual education plan. Wonderful. Sometimes the language in the meeting can make such the difference. But in your individual education plan, your IEP, you need to put in the details. And it starts at the present level, you have goals, you have accommodations and modifications for some children, and you have services in every section. It must talk about the details, okay? If someone's to pick up this form, this document, they need to understand what is being said in here. There shouldn't be that, well, these people at this table, they know what we're talking about. You should be able to pick it up and read it because whatever is put into this document is a binding legal document and the school district or the charter school that your child attends must follow it. And if they attend another public entity in another state or another area, they must also pick it up and follow it until they rewrite one for their area. So um, the way you write it is so critical and those details that Elaine's going to talk about now um, will make a difference between, um, you know, fighting and, and not being able to collaborate with the team and arguments to, you know, it's straightforward, it's put in writing, everyone should understand what needs to be done. Okay, well, one of my confusions with it is, is there are some things to me that would seem so exceptionally obvious, but things that no school system is potentially be able to meet all the criteria. Let's say, for example, um, it, it would seem obvious to me that every child would do very well with some, well, I shouldn't say that every child, but every child who's 
relatively nonverbal, would do much better with having a good portion of their day as being one-on-one. And, but yet, or, or to have, you know, 20 hours of speech a week, but yet school districts will say, you know, this is impossible. This is a goal we could never even meet. So wh- when is it, when is it a, a dream and when is it something that can actually be a reality and how do you know the difference as to what can be on paper? Well, anything is a reality as long as you build up the evidence that your child needs it to access the curriculum. Um, school is about accessing that information, learning and moving through the curriculum of each grade level. So whatever your child needs to access that to the maximum extent possible is what needs to be done by the team. And, you know, our school systems, when they become a public school and they receive money from the federal government, they become responsible for educating all children, okay? Right. Not all children that fit into their budget, not all children that fit their staff hours. They become responsible for educating all children. And so they must figure out as a financial business entity how they have to provide an appropriate education. One of the ways to make sure that your child is getting that appropriate education is learn how to effectively participate in that IEP meeting and get all of those details in writing. Because if it isn't in writing, it doesn't have to happen. Those assumptions that families make, you need to just, and families need to set those aside. No assumptions will get you the services you need. And and the the other, Kip's absolutely right. Um, the, The piece is that the IEP itself as a document has many parts. As, as I started to say a little earlier is that each part is dependent on the one before it. We, we walk into meetings where we, or we meet with families where we see IEPs that are six or seven pages in depth with all of the federal requirements now and all of the documentation that needs to go in there, a good IEP is rarely less than about 18 pages long. And the reason is that um, the present levels really, you know, putting in four paragraphs to describe describe behavior, math, and reading, um, and one other thing doesn't, doesn't explain who this child is. The present levels needs to explain um, how this child learns. So in order to to access the curriculum, do they need to have, um, can they read in a large group? Do they need a reading group of five or less or three or, or less? If the child's been in, already been in a group of five and it's not successful, the IEP needs to say that minimum progress has been made which, by the way, is why you need to have documentation of progress. Um, but it needs to be very lengthy. It needs to talk about what services this child has received in occupational therapy, in speech. How have, how have they progressed so that you can then build the IEP drives the goals. Mm-hmm. And the goals are very specific towards the individual child. And in every state, there's some, a bit difference in how the goals are written, um, but overall, they have to be, for everybody, they have to be measurable. You have to have a way to measure that goal's happening. It has, there needs to be a statement in the present levels as to why this child would need that goal. And um, school districts will often say, well, four or five goals is all that, you know, we write. There is no such thing as that. 
The child needs a goal for everything that is specific to them in learning that isn't going to be done automatically. And then those goals drive the service. So if your child needs to get to such and such a level in a particular area of learning, and the only way to do that is to have a reading group of one-on-one or two-on-one, once you've written it into the IEP that they weren't successful less than that, or you know that this is all they can be successful at, and you've written a goal for them to go a certain length, to a certain um, specific goal in one year's time, because these are one-year goals, and in most places are one-year goals, and and then um, then you have to talk about how do you service that. And it does not have to do with we don't provide one-on-one aids or we don't provide a one-on-one teacher or we don't have one-on-one aids. It's now how will you service that. Okay, so then let me tell you about a situation that I had in IEP. And this was on um, my son should not be nonverbal. He, he's, he was a very sick child when he was younger. He's doing fabulously well now. He's healthy. He's in good shape. And um, but the part of the biggest reason he doesn't speak yet is just because he just hasn't had enough one-on-one time. So in in the IEP, the psychologist comes in. I observe Joey, and he seems to to really like having a lot of people in the classroom. And I say, well, I, you know, I I totally totally disagree. I said he. He needs one-on-one, and he doesn't get any one-on-one. Well, we observed him, and we think he learns better when there's a lot of other kids around. And, and I was just like, it was just so well, ridiculous. That's... I said, so, so do you share an office? Do you, I said, that's the lady. I said, do you share an office with anybody? Well, no, I have my own office. I'm like, how would you be in a room of six other people when you were expected to learn very hard concepts? Betsy, yeah. you know that you have a right to have an independent person come in and do an observation as well? Okay. Any time, any time the school has done an evaluation, and observation is an evaluation, right? Then you also, and you don't agree. You have the right to ask for an for either a third party to come in, or if you already have a behavioral specialist or um, somebody who knows your child very well and knows how to go in, observe a classroom, take the proper um, documentation and data, which you may or may not get from your school psychologist, um, you have the right to do that. And that's one of the best ways of um, working with that kind of an issue. Are you finding that school psychologists in general do not have proper education with autism? You want to answer that, Kim? Um, you know what? I, I just think that depending on who you talk to, you're going to find different levels of experience, yes. just like you would in any area right. of professional um, work. Yes. It's it's just the way it is. And um, I think when people know better, they do better. That's why I strongly encourage families to access what Elaine was talking about, that second opinion. In most states, that's called an independent evaluation at the expense of the school district. That okay. means it is at no cost to families, and um, that brings in an outside eye, okay? One of the other things that Elaine didn't really ask or talk about, which was critical, is um, a- asking to look at their data. Yes. 
You know, a lot of times when you're sitting at the table with professionals, they're giving you their professional opinion, which I hear, you know, you questioning their level of expertise. Of course you would do that when you disagree with them. But you also want to say, could I see your data? Can you show me exactly how you tracked that and exactly what you were looking at when you were tracking that? Oh, that's good. And so by I asking like that, that question, it really um, creates a mode of collaboration where you can work together to resolve your disagreements. Yes. And um, sometimes they'll say, well, I don't have any data. That's just my opinion. And that's where your second opinion comes in, that IEE. But, um, and you know what? You can ask, yeah. what does looking happy look like? How do you know if my child's happy? <laughs> what did it look like to you? Give me specifics. Yeah. Which, which reminds me, neither Kim and I or I have said that we believe that every family should um, we should um, audio record their IEP meeting. Okay. Um, you bring a tape recorder. You give them 24-hour notice that you're going to bring it. So okay. if you if you happen to get your 10-day notice okay. of a meeting on the de- on the notice, you okay. tell them that you're going to record. You probably will never need that, but it is you know it's there's a lot going on, and even for us. We take the tape recorder because that way we don't have to take extensive notes. And we'll talk to you after the break. No, (laughs) you can finish your thought. It's really okay. okay. They don't have to take extensive notes, and you have and you have the history of what actually was said at the meeting. Okay, excellent. All right, we will take a break. When we come back, I, I I can't get enough of these two, so we'll be right back talking a little bit more about IEPs. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Readysorb Glutathione is proud to support the Betsy Hicks radio program. Glutathione is essential for human health. It protects cells from oxidative stress and supports the body's removal of toxins. It enhances immune function. Glutathione is one of the body's ways of detoxifying itself. It protects our DNA. Glutathione is one of the most effective free radical scavengers. Autistic children are predisposed to low glutathione, which prevents them from detoxifying 
emulsifying normally. ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione is an oral dietary supplement that was formulated by a physician for his own patients. Each teaspoon contains over 400 milligrams of glutathione. The ingredients are pure and chemical-free. And there's no sodium benzoate in ReadySorb Glutathione. It's approved for use on the Fine Gold Program. Ask your doctor about ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione and read more about us at www.redisorb.com. That's R-E-A-D-I-S-O-R-B.com. Living Your Power with host and intuitive counselor Diane Brandon breaks down the old traditions of taking what life gives you. Living Your Power teaches you how to have a life of success, happiness, and fulfillment. How to live your power, feeling vibrant and confident. Tune in Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern to Living Your Power on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We are back, and we are talking about IEPs, and I'm talking to the most fascinating women, both Elaine and Kim, who are giving me so much information. They are with um, Arizona's Advocates. And you know, do you have a website, the two of you? Kim? Yeah. Yes, we do. It's um, ArizonaSpecEdAdvocates.com. Okay. Say that one more time, Kim. Arizona. Okay. S-P-E-C-E-D-Advocates.com. Excellent. Okay. Because this is such great information and I'm just, I have a billion questions. So here's, here's my next piece. There is a shortage of OTs, there's a shortage of speech therapists, and then even if they are them, to get them to work for the school district is very difficult because, you know, there's, there's not enough of them to go around as it is right now and you're lucky if you get a few minutes with them. It, yeah, it's a nationwide crisis. Yes. And, and then there's a sh- shortage of special ed teachers and, and, and all of this. Mm-hmm. So, so here, here has, I have found in my son's education some of the most meaningful people in his life have had no credentials at all, the people that have taught him the most. And I'm not downplaying the people in the school that do work very hard for their degree because there's some that are f- fabulous. But the point I'm trying to make is how um, in, in the school system, and, and, and if, you want a, if you want a one-on-one aid and they're not certified and you want your child to spend a lot of time with, the, with an aid, a, a, just, just the aid as opposed to the special ed classroom or a paraprofessional to help teach them speech as opposed to a speech a therapist, are those all options or are they very, very strict with rules that it has to be somebody who's completely certified? Well, there's always ways to get around everything. Um, one of the ways is to uh, for the district to hire long-term subs, and then they're um, they're. Well, a long-term su- call the person a long-term substitute. Exactly. As compared to an aide. Yes. Okay, or or a um, o- or an OT assistant. Yeah, and okay. you know, if you do have a student that has a one-to-one assistant or a, or a classroom assistant, those assistants are absolutely allowed to practice those activities which help them develop and grow on their goals. Mm-hmm. So it is very common practice to have them do it. Now, they should do it under supervision right. of the professional. 
certainly. Yeah. Certainly. And, and, and part of the question here is because last year my son had this amazing teacher who was a long-term aide. She, or long-term, no, long-term sub. Uh-huh. Long-term sub. And, um, she was not allowed to teach us next year because they could only, I guess you can only do it for a year. Yeah. And she was so amazing. And I think about, um, you know, we not necessarily don't want to limit ourselves just to the people with the certification, but I know a lot of parents really, really push to make sure of that certification. I would guess that your feelings are kind of mixed with this and that sometimes you feel it is really necessary and other times you feel it's it's not as necessary. Well, let me say one thing about getting those professional people. Every district will tell you that they don't have them available. Okay. And I really want to encourage families to come up with an attitude that says, not my problem. <laughs> you have to go to meetings continually saying to yourself, in fact, we say it out loud for families, not this family's problem, the district's problem. The law doesn't say if you don't have somebody, you don't have to provide it. There is, you know, in unless you're in a rural area, and even we've found that in some of our, you know, some of our more rural areas, there are private speech and language therapists. If the district cannot provide their own, then it's their responsibility to contract to bring those services in. Kim and I both have numbers of families who are getting excellent outside services because the districts can't provide within the district themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we don't think um, undergrade people can't do some of the job, but there are some things that do require yes, that specialized training, and we don't want people to think they can't have that. Right, right. And, and okay, that is a very, very important point, and well taken with that as well, too. So um, let, let's talk more about the... Um, in the in in coming up with a lot of the goals for your child, and certainly the parent knows the child exceptionally well. My a big part of my frustration is the schools trying to convince the parents that they know the child better than the parent does. And and where do you feel the parent needs to go with the conversation that kind of goes in that in that direction? Well, could we start out by making a recommendation that the family ask to see the IEP? Prior to go, the draft, prior going to going to the meeting, there are very few places anymore where you actually walk in and write the IEP without a draft. Um, we, in uh, most of the districts we work in, they usually have it fully filled out. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many places, they at least have an outline of what it's going to look like. The parents should have the same right to see whatever the district's working from before they walk in. That way you have an opportunity to see what the goals are, to have a chance, if you don't have an advocate, to at least go on to websites that might be helpful Mm -hmm. in making recommendations and to talk to people in your community that may be helpful and um, then start to develop goals. But goals are absolutely individualized to the child. Do you have some of those websites linked on your on your website? Yes, we do. Okay, good. Um, we'll, we'll, and we'll, we will repeat that that website again in a little bit, so we um, make sure that you are. And and most states uh, have some kind of an agency that at least can provide 
some over-the-phone um, help, if yeah. not providing a person to go to the meeting. Uh, that's much harder to find. Um, money's tight these days. But if you already have a copy of your IEP and um, what you want to know is, is this a legal document? Does it contain everything that should be in it? It's hard for someone to do because it's they don't know you or your family, but at least you have more help than you would have had by walking in without having gotten advice first. Now, some families aren't even to that point. They don't even know where to start. So when I'm working with families, I will often say, I'd like you to create a top ten list of the issues that you're mm-hmm. most concerned about. Mm-hmm. And then taking that top ten list and prioritizing it. Out of this top ten, what are the top five you're not willing to settle on? You know? And then look, at the bottom two, are you willing to settle on these two issues? And then working from that list to get those things into the IEP. That way it creates a starting point for families because it's overwhelming for so many people just to participate and um, feel like they're being heard. Yes. So that's one way to do that. Kim, I've got a question to you about the academics of it all. And, um, you know, you, if you're working with a lot of autism and you, especially if you have a lot of children that are nonverbal, mm-hmm. um, I get very, very frustrated with the fact that they want to teach my son social studies and science and, um, you know, th- these types of concepts in geography when, when he doesn't even know how to say, Mom, I'd like a glass of juice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's... And then, and it, and it comes back to they don't even teach. It's it's the frustration and in, in, in not teaching play concepts versus academic concepts. Mm-hmm. And do you find that with autism, that um, they're still trying to jam the basic curriculum academics down the kids as opposed to teaching them just basic skills? Well, you know, with the change of IDEA, that special education law in 2004 that um, all kids have to be tested on the full curriculum, um, that's why that we're having such a struggle with our schools right now. And, yes, that is a big problem. Um, there's a big gap for kids who need to work on developmentally appropriate things and the state's expectation that they should be learning grade-level material. Right. So we have a, you know, huge mixture. And that's where the IEP is so powerful. You need to write both. You need to write both in there. Okay, you can learn to do socially social things during your science activity. Um, you need to participate in that activity in a different way, and that's why writing those details of what your child needs to work on in that IEP is so critical. If you don't do that, they're just going to do their normal science or history lesson. If you write in there during that science lesson, we need to be working on you know interaction with uh, you know. N- two social interactions or three social interactions between a peer or facilitated by an adult or using the augmentative communication device. I mean, you need to be detailed. You need to describe what that should look like. I hear a lot of advocates um, have different opinions about augmentative communication devices and also a lot of speech therapists do as as well. And actually on my show in one month I'm going to have – I think it's called Tango, which makes augmentative communication device. It's going to be mm-hmm. on the show. Um, so I, 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 I'm exceptionally neutral. You can give me whatever opinions you have. Um, it's it's irrelevant like, what the professionals say. It's all the, yeah. what the family wants to do. Oh, beautiful. And every, and every child is different. There are children who use it as their major, uh, as their major language. And if 
that is what your child is using. If your child's already using it at home, mm-hmm. and that is your child's language, it doesn't matter. They have a right to their communication, no matter where they are. Yeah. So, uh, whether the school likes it or not, if you already are using this, they must they, yes. implement it. They right. must. It's if if your child knows if your child's using an augmentative communication device and they have they're using that more than they're using verbal language or more than they're using mm-hmm. sign language, then that is their primary communication, right. and the school must use it. I know a lot of school districts um, in our area use this whole language idea. That means we use all aspects of language. Well, you know what we all do. <laughs> but this individual this individual we're talking about here has some specific needs and again those needs need to be put into the IEP. Perfect. All right, we'll do take another break. When we get back, we'll, we will talk more about this IEP process. Don't go away. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. ReadySorb Glutathione is proud to support the Betsy Hicks radio program. Glutathione is essential for human health. It protects cells from oxidative stress and supports the body's removal of toxins. It enhances immune function. Glutathione is one of the body's ways of detoxifying itself. It protects our DNA. Glutathione is one of the most effective free radical scavengers. Autistic children are predisposed to low glutathione, which prevents them from detoxifying. Normally, ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione is an oral dietary supplement that was formulated by a physician for his own patients. Each teaspoon contains over 400 milligrams of glutathione. The ingredients are pure and chemical-free, and there's no sodium benzoate in ReadySorb Glutathione. It's approved for use on the Fine Gold program. Ask your doctor about ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione and read more about us at www.readisorb.com. That's R-E-A-D-I-S-O-R-B dot com. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. I am back. And I am so excited with these wonderful guests we have because they are teaching me so many valuable pieces. This is Arizona's Advocates, and we have Kim and Elaine. And um, can you give the website one more time for everybody right now? Yes, it's www.arizonasp, 
pecedadvocates.com. Great. Perfect. Okay, so here's here's a big question of mine. So this is something I hear over and over again. And my son, my son is so complex, and there is so much detail to this little boy that only somebody who spends a lot of time with him could really possibly understand him. And the same line I get, I've gotten from every school he's been to has been, we don't want to give him his own one-on-one aid because he's going to become a dependent. <laughs> I love that because we hear that no matter where we are. Kim and I do speaking in other parts of the country, right. and we hear that everywhere we go. There are two things to begin with. One is the first question you ask is, could you please show me the data? There is, now I could be wrong, and someone might prove it. You know, show me some. But there is no empirical data. The only thing that is out there are opinions. There is no, and that's, and by the way, it's not from, from autism parents. Sure. Um, there, there is no data that to prove that that happens. The next, well, I guess there's several. The second one is, so what if they become dependent? As yeah. long as they're learning. Yeah. Um, you know, they're dependent on their parents for things also. Um, the next one is if an, if a um, paraprofessional is doing their job appropriately, what their job is 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 to be a shadow, not to be another hip for the child. That person um, should work as much as possible out of the direct, direct um, eye gaze of the child, they should um, be helping the child to focus on a teacher or to focus on other children, should be giving hints, not answers. It's the, the problem is that so many of our wonderful people who want to be paraprofessionals don't get the training so specifically needed for autism. Right, right. And what can you do this in the schools? I mean, I've always done it, but I've done it behind plenty of backs in my life. Is that you know I will bring the aides to my home and 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 work with them. I'll you know I I'll pay them out of pocket and say, listen, I'll pay you out of pocket. Just come to my house and let me teach you about my son. And um and I know that a lot of families don't have the, the financial resources to be able to do that, but there's a lot of paraprofessionals who would gladly do that just to be better at their job and because they're so dedicated to what they do. There's actually a place in the IEP that can designate specific training for staff members. Oh, cool. Um, for teachers or for assistants. And in our state we have um, SARC, which is the Southwest Autism Research and Referral Center, right. and a couple other agencies that do professional training um, when it relates to autism. And so hopefully, you know, if you have that in your area, you can absolutely write that into the IEP. And you can even write it has to be done before the first day of school or it has to be done, you know, with in a certain date if you're hiring a new staff member. Um, so you can write those things into the IEP. Now, not everyone's as fortunate as we are to have those professionals handy, but you could write in there. Um, meet with parents at school for, you know, three to four hours for, you know, team training. Or um, So there's lots of ways to make that information happen. And, and one of the other things um, that I learned from a parent a long time, another parent a long time ago, is that um, for parents who are comfortable writing, to um, prepare a small packet, don't make it very long because they won't read it, about your child, and so that this is available to the aide as well as the teacher. 
Mm-hmm. And the things that we put into it are things like, you know, when you want Johnny's attention, a short touch on the back of his shoulder is the best way to get that. Or do not touch Johnny at any time. Right. Because this where we've or we've found that touching Johnny at any time will cause such and such. Include the words that you use at home because we all use words specific for our child that gets helps them to understand what it is we want. And so if we can help the staff to do that as well. I think that personally, I think that every parent capable of training aides should add to whatever professionals do. I always went in and trained Nathaniel's teachers um, because, truthfully, we are all experts on our child. How much of a right do we have to be in the classroom? That's a great question, and it's one we hear all the time, and it varies across the United States. Okay. Um, one of the things that you have to remember is that... Um, the school district or charter schools or the school's policies for all students apply to kids who have disabilities as well. So if they allow visitors and helpers in the classroom, then you can be a visitor and helper in the classroom. If they have guidelines that you have to set an appointment, then then that's what you have to do. So it has to be the same as for general education yes, children. It, it can't be a discriminatory process like, oh, your child has a disability and so you can't be in the classroom. Mm-hmm. It must be equal access. Um, I always um, struggled to observe my son in his classroom because it changed his behavior. So I had someone else go in and, and do that observation and, and sit there and cut stuff for him or as he got older to be the you know eye in the back of the classroom. Some parents do have the ability to go in and not change the way your, their child's interacting in the classroom and be part of that environment. And you have a right to that just like anyone else would. Can I just add one more? Remember that as the parent, um, you are a full member of the IEP team, and you have the same right to full disclosure and information that everybody else on that team has. Mm -hmm. If the school psychologist gets to go into the classroom and the um speech therapist goes in and the principal goes in, etc. You have the same right to, if not every day, at least to set up the appointments for you and the people who work with you to um, go in and do the same thing. Okay, but what about being able to drop in? Every time that I have dropped in on my son, I found something that just completely... Um, infuriated me, and that's part of the process of me bringing them out. Mm-hmm. Now, they have not so much as told me that I'm not allowed to drop in anymore, but I don't want them knowing I'm coming because I was able to catch a lot of things. Yes. Well, you know, one of the things, I do a lot of observations. Um, I, pro- I probably do at, one every, at least one every day of the week, and uh, every day of the school week, and what I've found is if I go in for a short period of time, uh, even you know when it's planned, that I don't see <clears throat> I don't see what's really going on in the classroom. I need to stay two to three hours in a classroom I've never been in before, and I bring things to do at the back of the classroom. And it's amazing after the first hour how people tend to forget I'm there, uh, 
And then I often see the same things that I would have seen if I had made that appointment. Yeah, and part of my problem is I'm just like what Kim says. There's no way. If my son saw that I was yes. there, he'd grab his backpack and right. head for the door. So if you send somebody else in, okay, you want to make sure they go for a length of time. Yes. And and um, that and they don't just sit and stare at people that and take notes. That you know it's fine to take data. But you want to be real careful that you're not making the people there feel uncomfortable for just because it's not fair to do that to them. Right, right. So, okay. All right, that's important to yeah. know. All right, we are literally at our last minute. I, I have to know real quickly, is can can anybody hire you or they have to be in Arizona to be able to hire you as advocates? Well, we'll talk to anybody and share information with anybody. But, yeah, we do work in the state of Arizona. And we have a lot of great free resources on our website that we encourage families to learn and grow from and if we can be of assistance we'd love to but we will do training in other areas we will train families Um, we will train advocates in other areas that is fantastic once again kim give your website www.arizonaspecedadvocates.com you two are exceptionally wonderful people. I really appreciate all the information that you were able to provide us today. And selfishly, I'm very appreciative of the help that you provided me. Thank you so much for being thank on you, the Betsy. show. Thank thanks you, Betsy. Thanks for your show. Everybody, thank you. Um, we will be um, not here for Christmas, and we will not be here for New Year's Day, but we'll be returning back in January, um, the, the, I think it's the 8th. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.